I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. Pastor Howard, we are now at the beginning of an entire new quarter. A new year. A new year, a new topic Hopefully of a study. better year. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> want to knock on wood and say, like, couldn't yes. get worse. But, <laughs> no. you know, but uh, certainly glad to be in the new year. And this new topic is not just a topic. It is a book of the Bible, right. Isaiah. And as we were talking beforehand, it's been a, a good lessons about education and witnessing all of good things. We need... But I'm glad to be back in a... In yes, a, absolutely. A, drawing directly from the Word of God. Well, I think the teachers are going to notice, too, as they're preparing lessons, that it's, at least for me, it's easier to teach a lesson yes. based yes. specifically on Scripture Draw it versus out of the a text. topical Exactly. Yeah. So topics are good and they have text with them, but this one is taking the book of Isaiah and yes. drawing from it. So I don't want to get too much into that, but I'm excited about this uh, study for this quarter. And... Uh, this morning, we're going to start with, obviously, a word of prayer as we get started, and then we're going to do a quarter review, a quarterly overview before we dive into the yes. specific popping points of this week's study. So right now, let's just start with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our topic. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to study from the Word of God. Please, Lord, bless us today as you intended people to be blessed when it was originally written. Help us to find the applications that you have for us in these last days and help us to learn the lessons of Scripture. Uh, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, what are we talking about this entire quarter? All right, well, we're talking about the book of Isaiah. Okay, that's easy <laughs> enough. Next. <laughs> um, a little bit of background on Isaiah. You get some of this in the introduction to the lesson, and I looked at, in fact, just so that the teachers know, what I've done for each one of the lessons is I've actually gone to the SDA Bible Commentary, mm-hmm. and I've read through their whole comment on the chapter that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to this, I read the introduction to the book of Isaiah, as well as reading some things on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple commentators I often refer to are Albert Barnes' commentary, which is an old commentary. It's fairly reliable, as well as the Adam Clark. It's one that our pioneers used. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not as much uh, attitude toward Adventism because the Adventist movement hadn't developed as far really yet. yet. Yeah. So some of the attacks on some of the... So I find them reliable, but at any rate, um, SDA Bible Commentary is very helpful. But just a quick overview, obviously this quarter's on the, the book of Isaiah, and in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 1, it introduces itself by saying, The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So Judah and Jerusalem were the southern kingdom. You still had the northern mm-hmm, kingdom of Israel mm-hmm. and Samaria area. But Isaiah also prophesied in reference to that, which we're going to see. But he was called during the ministry of these four uh, kings, during yes. the reign of these four kings, called to the prophetic office during the co-regency of King Jotham. You'll find that in <coughs> Prophets and Kings 305. And this is in our outline notes that you can download at our website. Absolutely. We'll put a, a little link on the screen there. Mm-hmm. Um And then he served until he was martyred at the beginning of the reign of Manasseh, and that you find in Prophets and Kings 382. It was the very one, he was one of the first to fall, Ellen White says. Mm -hmm. So we don't have a specific exact time period because there's some some uncertainties in there, but we know that his ministry spanned those four kings. And in those four kings, there was a lot that happened. Right, so his lifespan was not just those time frames, but there was a lot in that time yes. frame, a lot of dynamics, the changing Major of kingdoms, all kinds of stuff. Right. that came into, for example, you have the Assyrian conquest of the kingdom of, of Israel okay. and the scattering of the 10 tribes. So 10 out of the 12 tribes were taken over during Forever. Isaiah's... Forever. Yeah. 
I mean, from that point on, the ten tribes oftentimes referred to the lost tribes, whatever mm. else. So that's a huge event, right? Right. And in addition, the Assyrian Empire then tried to come against the southern kingdom and destroy it, and God intervened in a miraculous way, which is brought out in the book of Isaiah. We're going to mm. come up to that in a, in a later lesson. Sure. But those were, were, were a couple huge events that happened during Isaiah's ministry. So it's interesting to note that in the context of that, Ellen White says in Prophets and Kings, page 305, that the dangers from without... Yes, like the surrounding the whole, empires, yeah. The whole northern kingdom being decimated were not so serious as the dangers from within. Oof. In light of the prevailing, and this is not her comment now, uh, uh, this is my comment, in light of the prevailing apostasy that was going on that you read about in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah's mission seemed destined to failure. The, 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 not only was the nation apostate, but very rebellious and not really willing to listen. But God had promised to Isaiah in the call that he would save a remnant. In other mm. words, somebody's going to respond to this. It's going to be worthwhile. And then Ellen White does comment in Prophets and Kings, page 308, that this might be brought about, this saving of the remnant. The messages of warning and entreaty were to be delivered to a rebellious nation. This is why God called the prophet. Okay. So and the, this, this is, it, thus it was that Isaiah entered upon his work. So Isaiah is living in this time as a speci special messenger of the Lord yes. for this particular uh, moment. Of course, there's going to be to application, right? But the, hmm. from without, they're being pressured and <laughs> yes. even overtaken yes. by foreign nations. From within, they're rotting with sin and immorality and all kinds of problems. And in that particular context, the Lord raised up Isaiah to, with the specific intention to preserve a remnant out of that mess. That's right. And, and establish God's people going through. That's right. So um, that's some important themes. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's just a, a, a very quick overview that leads us into, I think that rolls well into our first talking point. So that will we'll roll that out a little bit. We'll explain that a little bit Well, further. on that point, I wanted to highlight something in that we talked about too in the teacher's edition of the quarterly. Now, one of the reasons I like the teacher's edition of the quarterly is because it does yes. this trick right here. Yes. It stays open, right? Well, the binding... like my loose leaf. I just got yeah. my loose leaf, but I, I, I didn't get it when we got these in. in time, so, but, yeah. but that's why I like the loose leaf. Right. <laughs> but the, the standard one, of course, doesn't do that at all. And I have had conversations with some of the people in the know at the GC about <laughs> fixing that. But calm anyway. down, calm down. So anyway, but in addition to having a different binding, yes. it has different resources inside of it, right? And it has this right. overview. And so while we're putting together this particular resource of talking points videos and yes. these, uh, these outlines that are here, um, the teacher this time, or the contributor, I should say, Elder Gain, Professor Gain, I should say, uh, did an overview, and you can find this on page 13 of the teacher's edition, where he kind of gives that historical contextualization. Uh, but then it goes and he says, these are the three points that I was trying to cover in this week's lesson. Now, basically, he did his own version of talking points, which is fine. If you want to use the teacher's guide as a resource, please right. do. The purpose of these talking points videos isn't to take over the Sabbath school lesson or to take over your local Sabbath school program. Or to even be the only talking points that can be used. Exactly. But it's just a guide. It's an aid to help teachers and uh, Sabbath school members to have a better local Sabbath school experience. Absolutely. But if you want to use that, that's an option there as well. Um, so, But I do think it's interesting that whether it's our talking points or theirs, he goes out of his way to say, I know there's seven days of lessons, but there's only three main points. That's right. And I thought that was an interesting thing. It's like I, when I was writing this, I was trying to convey these points, but I broke it down into seven parts. So it's not an abomination. In light of what we've already talked about, I can't imagine that it wasn't the case, that he was thinking, 
you know, I only had three points and they're making me put it into seven <laughs> exactly. days. Exactly. <laughs> so again, the seven day construct is fine for daily study, but the overarching themes can be uh, identified in other ways. Yes. All right, but let's get into the three talking points that you'll find on our outline here. Yes. What do we have? Our three talking points are number one, Isaiah's message is a message for our time. I think this is, mm. I think it's easy for us living in the times that we are to say, well, this is interesting, Isaiah, but shouldn't we be studying Daniel Revelation? Well, we did Daniel. Mm. Or that was just ago, for them there, an interesting we, history. Right, or the signs of the times, or somewhere prophetic or whatever. And I think you're going to be surprised how clearly mm. Isaiah speaks to our time. So number one, Isaiah's message is a message for our time. We're going to look at some reasons for that. Number two, our second talking point is that formalism is not true religion. There's a lot of mm. formalism in Isaiah outlined and in God's church throughout history. That's not true religion. It's not true Christianity. Mm. We're going to see that. And then our third talking point is, you know, God, Isaiah was speaking to a rebellious nation. Obedience is the cure for rebellion. I know that mm. sounds real legalistic. <laughs> Maybe intentionally so to get your attention as <laughs> yeah. we go, and we're going to flesh that out a little bit. But that's our third talking point. Obedience is the cure for rebellion. All right. Well, we've got a great outline. We've got a good uh, topic to study, a good uh, book of the Bible to dive into. So let's go back to that first talking point. Number one, Isaiah's message is a message for our time. How is that so? Okay. Well, when you start out in Isaiah, Isaiah 1, and, and the first, as God introduces Isaiah the prophet, and then he says in verse 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but, my, but Israel does not know. My people don't consider, alas, mm. sinful nation, people <coughs> laden with iniquity. Uh, and he talks about their rebellion and their backsliding. And then he says in verse 5, Why should you be stricken again? You'll revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints from the sole of the foot even to the head. There's no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores that have not been closed up. Your country's desolate. Your city's So you have mm. this prevailing time. Uh, what I have is it was a time of prevailing apostasy mm. in Israel. And make no mistake, we see that parallel today in our world, mm -hmm. in our nation, and in, and I, when I say in our church, I should say the Christian church. It's, it's in the Seventh-day Adventist church as well as other churches professing Christianity. There's a lot of compromise. There's a lot of apostasy. We're going to see that defined as we go through Isaiah. You know what I find interesting here too is that as we've already talked about in the introductory part, the external pressures and, and issues yes. could be you would think that Isaiah would really want to talk about that. Watch out for this or watch yes. out for that, right? And even in our day, we could very easily get distracted by real things, like whether it's the economy or the environment or health of the pandemic or, or political, right. all this kind of stuff. And you say, oh, that's the great risk. But he starts right at the very issue saying, your big problem is your internal spiritual right. issues, right? And so f maybe a parallel to our day is while there's plenty of other things that capture our attention, valid as they may be, our primary issue is that spiritual problem. That's right. And it's interesting to me, and I've used this passage before, and perhaps you have, where it talks about the whole head being sick and the whole heart faint mm -hmm. from the soul of the head, even the, no soundness in it, mm -hmm. talking about the, the, the deplority, the depravity of sin yes. and the sinful nature, which it speaks to that. But in the context, it's interesting. What the Lord's saying is, I have allowed um, one calamity to befall you after another. And we're going to mm -hmm. see again as we go on that the Lord allows much of this for his people to try to bring them to, to awaken them mm. and bring them to repentance mm. from their rebellion. And what he's saying in the context is, your whole, why would you be stricken again? 
you've been stricken so many times. I've tried to get your attention. There's not a there's not a a healthy spot on your <laughs> yeah. body anymore. From the things I've allowed to happen, or the things well, that you've led your yourself into. Your whole country's right? desolate. Your cities are burned down. Why do I need to strike you again? When are you going to recognize mm. and realize and turn back to me? It's this mm. this imploring of the Lord. But again, speaking to the fact that it's just a time of prevailing apostasy mm-hmm. among the people of God. Now. Um, the second bullet point we have underneath the message being a message for our time is that it was a time of darkened understanding. Now, this caught my attention as I was reading through Prophets and Kings, and Ellen White says of this time in Isaiah's day, in fact, she says in Prophets and Kings 3.11, in Isaiah's day, the spiritual understanding of mankind was dark through misapprehension of God. Mm. Now, as soon as I read that, and you thought the same, the thing, exact same thing, it brought our minds to a statement, a very well-known statement in the book Desire of Ages, speaking about the first coming of Christ. you want to read right? that one? And she says, the earth was dark through misapprehension of God. And again, that sounds like, well, you just quoted the same thing from Prophets and Kings, but this is actually hundreds of years later, yes. talking about the time when Jesus would come, but the same problem existed then, right? Dark through misapprehension of God, and then that took my mind to... Uh, Christ's Object Lessons, page 415, speaking about the very last days, and listen to what is said here. It is the darkness of misapprehension of God that is enshrouding the world. His character is to be made known. And she's talking about this in the context. This is what it means to fear God and give glory, to give this message. Mm -hmm. This is, in fact, listen to what she says. His character is to be made known. This is the work outlined by the prophet Isaiah in the words, Behold your God. The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of love. Now, there's a lot I'm leaving out. Mm -hmm. I'd recommend reading the context of all of those. But the only point I'm wanting to show is the parallel with that darkened misunderstanding of God, that just as it was in Isaiah's day, we see that at the first coming of Christ, and then right here before the second coming of Christ, that we're living in parallel experiences. Right, so there's a direct chain between Isaiah and our day today. So Isaiah's message clearly is for our time as well. Yes, and then finally... The Lord, at the end of all this, he, he brings out their condition. Isaiah says in Isaiah 1.9, Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. In other words, we would have been gone. Mm. But God is going to preserve a remnant. And going back to our introduction, where we read that statement from Prophets and Kings 3.08, Ellen White says, A remnant would be saved, that this might be brought about. The messages of warning and entreaty were to be delivered to the rebellious nation, mm implication is by God's prophet. And Mm. now we come to the end of time, and what do we have? A time of unparalleled apostasy, the world is dark through misapprehension of God, and in the very last days, what does God do? Mm. He sends the testimony of Jesus to his people that the remnant would be saved through messages of, and I know we don't like to hear it, but messages of of warning and entreaty. And well, so we see that that strong parallel with absolutely. Isaiah, and it really brings a relevance to. Yeah, so we have the, the external pressures, we have the internal fall, we have a remnant God wants to save, so clearly there's parallels to be drawn out from That's there. That's right. All right. Uh, formalism. This is talking point number two. Formalism is not true religion. Now, it almost sounds in that title, uh, maybe you're trying to get people's attention there too, but religion by its common understanding in society today, is synonymous with formalism. <laughs> That's right. Like, so religion itself minute, formalism is, stuffy, is religion. Exactly. Stuffy and cold and, and ritualistic and impersonal and all those kind of things. So 
how is formalism not true religion? I thought that's, that's the definition of true that's religion. That's exactly why this talking point, and, and I've, I asked you about it. I remember mm. seeing an ad for some new uh, non-denominational church, uh -huh. and they advertised their church. The church was held in a movie theater. They okay. used popcorn buckets for offering and, you know, just very non-orthodox, whatever. And they advertised their church as 100% religion-free church. You know, because religion is a bad word and we're not like that. And yet, and so the, the point, and we're going to get this from uh, this passage in Isaiah, is that the reason a lot of people are down on religion is because they've assumed formalism is religion. Right. And so I think religion has gotten a bad name from the irreligious manifestations of it, right? The formalistic right. versions of For it. For example, we'll say, oh, the Pharisees were so religious. No, they weren't. <laughs> they were formalists. Right. And, and we see this outline in Isaiah chapter 1. Why don't you go ahead and read Isaiah okay. 1, 10, 10 to 15 is where God calls this out. You know, Isaiah had just got done saying, if God, unless the Lord had left us a, a small remnant, we would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he speaks to them as Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, 10, 10 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Says the Lord, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure the iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Now, so much in here. Um, it, just even that last verse, even though you make many prayers... I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Well, that takes my mind to Proverbs 28, 9, where the Lord says, He who turns his ear from hearing the law of the Lord, even his prayer is an abomination. Mm. And, and that, I believe, is what the context speaks to. Now, the lesson brings out the idea that the hands full of blood represents the fact that they are, they're full of violent acts. Well, and... and, and clearly, I mean, later it talks about, you know, defend the fatherless, believe for the was So clearly they have been disobedient to God's uh, mm -hmm. social law, moral law in their society. Um, but at the same time, in the context of this, it's all about the sacrifices they've been doing. Their That's hands right. are full of blood and their mouth is full of prayers, but neither one is effectual, right? God, right. In fact, God is doesn't like them. He's offended by them. Well, I, I we were talking about this before and I... Uh, uh, my challenge with the idea of the hands full of blood representing um, acts of injustice towards right, right. their fellow man is, to me, it's too narrow and it's speaking of a symptom rather than the cause. When right. you look at Isaiah, this chapter, I think what the Lord is trying to point out, he's talking about the fact that in all their religious services, they're going through motions. Mm. I mean, for the Lord to say, who's, who's required this of your hand? to come in and bring these sacrifices. Well, wait a minute, Lord, you required this, right? I mean, they're carrying out what God said. Mm -hmm. The problem is the spirit in which they're doing it. Yes. And so the the fact that they're, they have violent hands, that's only the fruit of the root of the fact that their religious experience, and this is what I think he's addressing. For example, when it says your hands are full of blood, in the context, that appears to me to be sacrificial blood. Mm -hmm. In other words, they're going through the motions. Oh. 
when I sin, instead of being truly repentant and turning from my sin, I'm just going to offer a sacrifice. And today the equivalent would be, well, I'll just ask forgiveness. And then I'll, mm. I do it again. And well, I'm just sinful. That's all I can do. I'm going to sin up until when Jesus comes. Offer sacrifice. Sin, sacrifice, sin, right. sacrifice. And God's saying, I gave you the sacrifices to teach you that the sacrifices I want are a, are a right. contrite heart. I want repentance. I want you to change your ways, which we're going to see as we go on. So at the heart of it, really their service, their religious service has degenerated to formalism, if not outright paganism. Well, yeah, they're going through the motions yes. of religion, right? Without the actual religious experience of transformation that God wants to give them, so He's like, "You're just going, you're just punching a clock." Right. I mean, it reminds me of Isaiah 58. We're getting it later. He's like, "You know, why have we done all this before you, and you have not heard?" Right. He's like, "Well, is this the fast that I've chosen? You're just making up your own forms, just to, you know." It reminds me of the New Testament. You have a form of godliness, right. but deny the power thereof. So they're going to church. They're using the sacrificial processes that God gave them, but. Just as a decorative kind of addendum to their life. They're it's not, not truly... doing it with a purpose of right. wanting their heart to change. And so you see, we bring it again to our discussion today, the religion for each. <laughs> it's because why do people have such an issue with religion? Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes religious people aren't very religious. <laughs> they're not kind like Jesus was. They're, right. not, uh, uh, they, they're, they're not intentionally... Uh, 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 seeking to help others like Jesus did, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they have all this form... But the substance of the of Christianity is missing. Well, and, and you can talk about, oh, Christianity, but let's talk about Adventism for a minute. Yes, is it possible yes. that that state oh, of experience is, is, is alive and well in our own church? Are there people who go to church because that's what you do? Not because they're seeking to get a blessing or to be a blessing to others or to grow in there, but because it's a thing you do. And yet they're saying, well, my spiritual life isn't really growing. Well, because you're just going through the motions, right? You're essentially, your, your hands are full of blood and sacrifices just from, from what? Emptiness. Anyway. Right. And, and the lesson brings this out on Monday, uh, the last few sentences. Ritual prayers, mm. rituals and prayers performed there were valid only if they expressed faithfulness to him and his covenant. Mm -hmm. People who offered sacrifices without repenting from unjust actions toward other members of the covenant community, I don't know why he narrows that down, Unju any unjust actions, even against other to people perform the religious services without repenting of unjust actions, were performing ritual lies. There it is. Right? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? If you don't really want to change, why are you even going through these motions? Thus, their sacrifices were not only invalid, they were also sins. Yeah. So their they're adding sin actions, to sin, actually. Yeah. yeah, their ritual actions said they were loyal, but their behavior proved they had broken the covenant. Mercy. So uh, formalism had taken over God's people. That is not true right. religion. There's no sincerity in That's exactly experience. how it was in, in the days of Christ with the Pharisees. That's yep. what their religion was. It wasn't true religion. It was formalism. Mm. And Jesus addressed it as such. They were and hypocrites. You know, it just dawns me as we're sitting here right now that when I read those quotes about the misapprehension of God, yes. I was thinking about the pagans and heathens. They have, but is it possible that even God's own people have a misunderstanding of God and his relationship to them and his plan of salvation? There is no them? difference in what we're reading from pagan worship. Pagan Mercy. worship, what, to go through the motions without trying to change, why go through the motions? Or you're just if, appeasing God, trying that, to get out of trouble. Well, that's my or, point. Yeah. If you're not doing it because you want a heart change, the only reason you can be doing it is to appease God. Mm. And that's paganism. Mm. Mercy. And that's and that was part of, we're going to see as we go through Isaiah, that that was part of the problem with them mingling with the nations around them as they, their worship began to become pagan. Right. So they would keep the forms of 
God, but they were using the motive and the understanding. Denying uh, the power to transform the life. Okay, well that naturally brings us into point number three then, that obedience is the cure for rebellion. Right? So. All right. Uh, well, in this, we're, we're drawing this from the Lord goes on there. So your hands are full of blood. Then he goes on in Isaiah 1 to say, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Now, I mean, if I were to preach this from the pulpit, get, look, you guys are sinners. Here's what you need to do. Wash yourselves. Mm. Make yourselves clean. Oh, that legalist, doesn't he know we can't wash ourselves? That's the mindset. Someone would write and an article about that. the <laughs> Lord is speaking through his prophet and saying, here's the solution. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away evil from uh, the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Mm. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you see the two options there. You shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Oof. Now, there's a lot in there. I want to draw right away that verses 19 and 20, he contrasts. I mean, you, you have two options. You can rebel or you can obey. Mm. And that's why I've stated it here. Obedience is a cure for rebellion. The only, op, the only alternative to rebellion is obedience. And the problem I think we get into is we think of obedience as a checklist of stuff. Mm. And this, in obedience is, is, in fact, the word that's translated there, you know, obey, uh, verse 19, yeah. if you're willing and obedient, is the Hebrew word shama, which means first and foremost to hear, to hearken, to listen, mm -hmm. before it gets into the idea of obedience. So it's obeying as a result of listening. And which appreciating, is understanding it. Right. right. Yeah. Which, which, which which uh, fits very well with the Lord's appeal. Come, let us reason. Mm -hmm. Why are we reasoning? Because God's saying, I want you to hear and understand so you can cease your rebellion. And it's in interesting, words, and, and as a direct contradiction to the formalism, that he doesn't say, come, let us sacrifice. Come, let us do another thing. He's like, right. you've gone through the motions, but you need to internalize. It needs to be reason for you. That's right. So obedience is an informed choice to serve God. It's mm -hmm. not about checking off a list of stuff. It's not even about the things themselves initially. It's about choosing to stop rebelling against God and choosing to yield myself to God mm -hmm. and his will. And God, you say, well, we can't do that ourselves. I'm going to tell you something. God's not going to do it for you because mm -hmm. God will never force a man's choice. We're talking about the choice. Right to serve God. And all of these are so action So when we're verbs, talking right? about obedience, yes. first and foremost, we're simply talking about a person making a choice to serve God, to right. put God first so instead of rebel. So he'll give you the power to wash yourselves, power if to put you away evil. Him. If you choose. That's why in the 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, all of these are implied you, if you know your that's English right. sentence structure, right? Wash, put, cease, learn. They're all verbs. Uh, rebuke, defend, plead, come. And he's saying, you do this and I will I will finish what we started here, but that's you right. have to be an active participant in this through your choice. That's right. Now, that's not to imply that it comes from us. Nope. True obedience has to come from the heart. Of course. And we don't have that naturally. Our right. hearts need to be renewed. Uh, but the response the to the working of the Holy Spirit is to yield and, you know, go ahead. Absolutely. So there's this great statement in Christ Object Lessons, page 97. It says, the man who attempts to keep the commandments of God from a sense of obligation merely mm -hmm. because he is required to do so will never enter the joy of obedience. He does not obey. <laughs> so here's somebody who keeps the commandments, but if he and has the wrong disobeying. Mode, he's disobeying. Mm. 
When the requirements of God are accounted as a burden because they cut across human inclination, we may know that the life is not a Christian life. True obedience is the outworking of a principle within. It springs from the love of righteousness, the love of the law of God. The essence of all righteousness is loyalty to our Redeemer. This mm. will lead us to do right because it is right. Notice it will lead us to do right. So obedience starts with loyalty to the Redeemer. Right. That's what we're talking about when we say obedience is a cure for rebellion. We've got to choose to be loyal to God. Yes, the essence of all righteousness is loyalty to our Redeemer. Wow. So that was Christ's Object Lessons, page 97, yes. right? Now, uh, we're, we're almost running out of time, yeah, believe it or not. I, I'm thinking that there's a couple things in our, in our the, the, the note goes into, our outline goes into the idea of our sins being like scarlet, which is in the, in the Hebrew, it's a very deep set stain. And God's just saying that no matter how deep set your stain is, if you'll choose to put me first, I'll make you white as snow, which is a powerful promise. Yeah, well, that's interesting that that's, I mean, if you read through Isaiah without that promise, yes. Man, this is some some <laughs> heavy discouragement stuff. It's like you brood them, fire you. It's just a mess, right? But then the logical, I think the lesson brought this out kind of like, at least he's telling us, right? I mean, yes. at least the reason telling is, is not punitive, like, and boy, now I'm going to get you. No, the whole it's purpose an is, 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 re, is redemptive. It's like, look, this is your That's true right. problem. Now let's fix it. Come to me, right? Well, and this is why together. it leads to our conclusion where the lesson on Thursday takes us to Isaiah 5. I'm not going to go through it. You can read it. I would highlight it in class. But in Isaiah 5, God introduces it as a love song to his beloved. Yeah. And, in, and he likens his people to a vineyard. And in the course of his appeal, talking about his care for that vineyard, he says, what else could have been done in that vineyard that I yes. didn't do in it? And so you hear in the midst of God pointing out the sins of his people, you hear the longing of his heart, his desire to save his people. What more could I do? I've done everything I could. It goes back to the whole, why would you be stricken again? I have done everything I can to get your attention. Mm. What else can be done? And you see that God is doing you can't walk away from that and say, well, he just wants me to die. He wants me to... And I, <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. He, wants he wouldn't to have written the book it. if it That's wasn't exactly there. exactly right. Well, and, and to parallel to the last days, as we talked about before, and as we close out here, that obviously we're trying to learn what happened in Isaiah's time, but we were prepared for what's happening in our time. The yes. Lord is coming, and he wants us to be clean before him and to be ready and have the spirit and power, you know, the form and the function of righteousness in our lives. Absolutely. And someday he's going to give us all of those answers. He's going to show us that even he's going to show the wicked, if we really get into it, at the end of the final analysis, there's nothing more he could have done for any one of us. No. And so the Lord has been working for our redemption before we even realized it. And Absolutely. he's inviting us into that even now. So these are powerful lessons. And I think our Sabbath school classes are going to be blessed by the study yes. of Isaiah. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this rich study. Thank you for working with us so patiently. As you have uh, in the past, you do even now. Help us to learn the lessons from others' experience so that our own experience cannot be a tragedy, but can be victory through Jesus. Help us to have that repentant, sincere heart and help us by your grace to stand though the heavens fall in these last days. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.